Welcome to Richard Ellis Talks with Richard Ellis. Thanks for allowing us to share this time with you. Honestly, it's our favorite time of the day where we get to hang out together and talk about how the truth of God's Word can make a huge difference in your life. And that's what we're going to hear from Richard in a way that only he can do with words of hope, insight, and humor. You may be stuck in traffic or stuck in life. Either way, today's message is going to help get you on the right track as you learn how much God loves you right where you are. So let's get right into today's talk. Here's Richard Ellis. The title of today's message is Hooked. Let me read you Matthew chapter 28, verse 18. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, and by the way, this is after he's been raised from the dead. He's been showing up and disappearing for a few weeks, and finally it's done. He's going back to heaven. The Holy Spirit will come soon. He's out of here, basically. kind of gets beamed up to heaven, just kind of ascends. It's kind of a freaky deal, really. I don't know what I'd think if I was standing there and it happened, but he just kind of disappeared into the clouds, went back to heaven. But before he left, this is what he said to them. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and in earth. In other words, you think, well, God's always in charge. But he had come and conquered life, death, everything. And basically, it was his. And had resumed what was possible with God, had made possible a relationship with God, and cleaned the thing up. And you say, well, it doesn't seem very clean now. Jesus made possible a relationship with God that Adam in his sin had destroyed. It has been restored now, the possibility of it at least. And he says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. And by the way, the imperative, the command there is not to go. It really says, as you are going, the imperative, the punch in the phrase is, make disciples. And I grew up all my life being told it's about go, 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 and pushing. We ought to get out there and go. Really, the imperative here is make disciples. It's take people not just from becoming a Christian, but all the way through to maturity where they can in turn do the same with someone else. And just as a reminder, we don't say this a lot, but the mission statement of our church is simply this, disciples making disciples. And if you come to this church or out there somewhere listening and you become a Christian, that's a great thing. But it is only the beginning. You have no more finished the course than a baby who's been born has finished their life. You have a whole life ahead of you of growing and maturing, following Christ. That's discipleship. So we try to describe it in terms of disciples, we followers of Christ, that's our purpose, making other disciples, in other words, not just bringing people to spiritual birth, but showing them how they can live a spiritual life. So he says, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age, amen. And he was out of there. That's what he left them with. Now, if you jump back, this is at the end before he leaves. If you go into Mark chapter 1, you got Matthew, go to Mark chapter 1. If you go back where he starts his ministry and where he picks these disciples, and that's in Mark chapter 1, at least one of these places. This is also laid out in Matthew chapter 4. But we're going to look at Mark chapter 1, verse 14 and following and see what he said to these disciples to begin with. Verse 14, it says, Now after John was put in prison, talking about John the Baptist, Jesus came to Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. And as he walked by the sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And I think it's important to point out these are not sophisticated, rich, articulate, 
these are blue collar, everyday kind of guys who are out there. And I've done, you know, fishing with a net is hard work. Fishing with a pole is hard work. But these guys either were dragging nets or tossing the nets. If you've ever done that, you got to hold part of it in your mouth, the rope, and grab it a certain way and fling it out there. I mean, it's hard work. And Jesus comes on this scene, these guys, and approaches them where they are and says something pretty profound. And by the way, while we're on this, I know that a lot of people in terms of evangelism and talking about taking the planet and sharing the gospel and talking to people about Jesus will use Matthew 28. And clearly that is a great passage to use. But one of my favorite passages is verse 17 in regard to this, where he says to them, then Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. And if you look at the word here, follow me, it is also an imperative. It's an interjection. It can mean come hither, come here, come, but it's more of a come, come now. It was not a, hey, follow me. It was follow me. He looked at them and commanded them. It was not just an invitation. It was a commandment. He told Simon and Andrew, follow me. Now the promise, the result that would come as a result of their following him is what? He says, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. They immediately left their nets and followed him. Now sometimes Jesus comes across in art and in the way we describe him as some anemic, you know, weak, blessed are the poor, you know, almost about to die. I mean, you cannot live 30 something years of your life in a carpenter's shop and not be a little bit muscular at least and have some strength and some command. You know, it's, it's one of these things you'd love one day to go back and watch these videos. This will be one I'll rent probably. How did he say these words? How did it really come out? We know because the Greek language is such an amazing language. The way words are used and certain words, it was such a vast vocabulary that the way, the tense, the form of these words, these statements, these nouns, everything that are used, when he says, follow me, it is strong. It is powerful. They heard it. It demanded a response. Now, my contention here in terms of our sharing Christ with the world, some of you are literally sitting here today or maybe listening to a message on a tape or on the radio or wherever you are because someone pointed you there, you landed there, but some of you are literally sitting here today because someone opened their mouth and invited you, said something, and something about their life, something about the way they said it or the way they're living or the change in their life. You said, you know what, I got to go at least to this gathering and find out what's going on. So Jesus invites them. What in the world did Jesus need 12 loser, you know, redneck, whatever they were, guys to mess up his life? He could have said, I'm God, I'll get it done by myself and just healed people, gone away, retreated somewhere, come out, spoken to the masses and done it by himself. He complicated his life, in my opinion, by picking these people and letting them tag along with him, slowed him down. But what was he doing? He's doing what he said to them. You follow me. Part of his purpose for being on the planet was to pick some guys and show them, let them see how he did it, what he did, what he said, how he treated people and become as a part of that fishers of men. Now these guys understood what it meant to catch fish, but Jesus says, I'm going to teach you to catch men. Now, contrary to what some religious people think, this is not about throwing a net over somebody's head and dragging them to church. If that's how they caught fish, then that's how you'd catch men. And we force them or coerce them in some way. Jesus showed them that that's not the ticket. There is a way to literally catch men. The word follower, he said, follow me and I'll make you become fishers of men. They followed him. It means 
One part of the definition is to follow one who proceeds, join him as his attendant, accompany him, or to join one as a disciple, become or be his disciple. They knew what it meant. They were going to follow him, not for a few feet, for a few days, but until he said it was done, they stuck with him. And they did. Even Judas, who committed suicide at the end, stuck with Jesus till the very end. For some reason, somehow he lasted till the end. So Jesus comes to me and he comes to you and says, follow me. And you say, well, okay, I'm a Christian. That's it, right? No, it means follow him for a lifetime. Now, my contention by the time we get done today, hopefully is this. If you are a follower of Christ, you eventually at some point will become a fisher of men. It is not possible to be a follower of Christ and not at some point become a fisher of men because that's what he does to you. That's what he turns you into. And if you look at the lives of the disciples, you go through the book of Acts and beyond, he turned these guys into fisher of men, not just fishermen. There's a passage in Luke chapter five, if you wanna go over there with me. Another passage here where they've been fishing. This story is talked about in Luke and different details are added here. They've been out fishing all night. Jesus shows up and says, you know, cast the net out on the other side. And he's done some miracles. They say, okay, well, let's try what he says. So they do it. They were astonished in verse nine. It says, for he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish, which they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. So literally he says, you're going to catch men. You're going to catch them alive in the course of their lives. Somehow now they're going to be catching men. Now, let me ask you a question. Having read and said all that, did Jesus do what he set out to do? Did he really get the job done? Did following Jesus turn these guys into fishers of men? Did it actually happen? Look at Acts chapter one with me. Now there are those, there are some people who occasionally will say to me, specifically will say, well, you know what? Every time you preach, it's always the gospel. It's always, it's just kind of a Christian term, evangelistic. It's like, you're always talking about Jesus dying, buried, raised from the dead. And that if you'll just believe that Jesus died for your sins, shed his blood to pay for your sins, was buried and raised from the dead and accept this gift of eternal life, you'll be saved. You know what? That's the whole deal. You will not hear me speak much and rarely hear me pray without somewhere that being included. Because in Romans, Paul says that the gospel is the power of God. Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God and salvation to those who believe, to the Jew, and then also to the Greek. So there is power in just these facts. And I will always sprinkle that in, although every message is not about how do you become a Christian. But some of the reason I go over this and we go over this as a church is that it is not about bringing people so much to church. They're not coming to church. Look around you. We are here because there's some draw, there's some family connection, some relationship, but the vast majority of people that we are praying for, that we are desiring to reach, they're at home in bed, they're at the lake, they're having a good time somewhere, it seems. And the only shot you're gonna have at those people is at school, is at work, is by the pool, it's out at the lake, it's wherever you at the tractor pull, I don't know where you are, but wherever you are, and it's sitting next to them. I personally get really, I'm not a big baseball fan, but man, talk about a great place to trap somebody for four hours. I mean, if you want to have a long talk with somebody, you wives ought to go to baseball games with your husbands. You want them to talk? There's nothing else to do. Unless you like baseball, of course. But there are places in your everyday life 
And I am convinced if we as a church try to encourage one another to do what? Not be fishers of men, but to be followers of Christ that Jesus will turn us into fishers of men. Now, I've been raised in church a long time since I was a little bitty kid. I have been through and I'm not in any way criticizing this because they are very helpful tools. But I have been trained in how to fish, to go out and learn, literally memorize a script with questions. And I'm telling you, it is helpful stuff to give you a guideline. But let me make my observation. You can learn a script, like a sales script, and have all your facts straight and be sent out with someone who's curious about God and you can tell the story and they can become a Christian. But what happens with the spiel approach to fishing is that if there's nothing going on in your life, you will quit. And the averages are that people learn this stuff and do it for like two years and then they stop. They won't do it anymore unless you're just determined and deliberate and it's just willpower. The safest way to go about this, in my opinion, is to have something going on with you and Jesus to begin with, to follow him, to walk with him, to talk with him, to have a daily relationship so that when you get in a situation, it might be helpful to have some guidance and some questions and how to go about it. But whether you've got a script or not, you are going to open your mouth. And when you do, it's coming out, not because it's what you know, it's because it's who you are. And when somebody is sucking air across from you or sitting next to you at work or wherever it is and you're praying for them and you see their life falling apart, you say, God, you gotta help me. You gotta give me some words. This person is dying like I was dying. They're living like I was living. It's not working. I've got to be able to say something. I'm terrified I'm gonna say the wrong thing or do the wrong thing, but God, forget all that. I gotta jump in here and I'm gonna say something, so help me. And out of that living and following and walking and talking with Christ, that daily relationship, now when you open your mouth, what are you? You are a witness. And this is the verse in Acts chapter 1, verse 6 and following. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father has put in his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the earth. What is a witness? It is someone who simply says, this is what I know, this is what I saw, here's what I experienced. You don't have to make up anything to be a witness, and if you do, you're lying. And that is why so many people share their quote-unquote faith and feel so foolish and hypocritical because they are talking about things they know about in their head, but they do not know about in their heart. And so they get so hypocritical, and the devil punches you so many times, you say, you know what, I'm not doing this anymore, and he shuts you down. If you will stop for a minute and say, Father, I know I want to talk to people, but this has got to be personal. It's got to be real. It's got to be mine. So help me develop this relationship with you so that when I do open my mouth, I'm not making stuff up. I'm talking to him about what's going on with you and me right now. I think it's great if you became a Christian 30 years ago. I'm excited for you. I want to know what Jesus is doing for you. Talk to me about the difference he's making in your life, because if you just got some ticket 30 years ago and you're waiting for Jesus to come back or to die and that's all there is to it. I don't need that because I might escape hell forever that way, but I got hell to live right now that I'm not going to make it without Christ. So talk to me about how it works for you today. And you say, well, people are going to see me screw up. You know what? They're going to screw up too. So let them see that and process through that. Walk with him, talk with him, follow him. And all of a sudden out of what you do know, People say, well, I get asked these questions and I don't know the answer. You know what the best answer to a question you don't know the answer to is? I don't know. 
And what do they say? What do you mean? You know, well, I don't know. What do you want me to do? Make something up? I don't know. I'll try to find out for you. But right here, right now, I don't know. Well, what about all the people in Africa? I don't know. What about all the Muslims who never heard of Jesus? I don't know. But what about you is the question. What are you going to do with it? You've heard about it now. You make a decision. Are you going to follow him or not follow him? You're a witness. And part of this becoming a witness in verse 8, he says you'll receive power. Never underestimate this power. You are not opening your mouth in your own strength and your own wisdom. If you wake up in the morning and say, God, this is the day that you've made. I'm going to rejoice, be glad in it. I'm yours. Lead me not in temptation. Deliver me from evil. God, I'm available. Do whatever you want to do through me. You've got the God of the universe living in you. You open your mouth. You step out there. And he says, okay, this guy today, say something. He is always working both sides. They have been prepared for what you're about to say, and God himself will speak through you, but it is him doing it through you, and in that person, it's not you anyway. It's impossible for me to even stand here and look out without seeing people that I have had this conversation with. I've sat across from people in this room and seen their lives, once this story was told, simply explain to them what Jesus did for me and that he did it for them. And I've seen him go from darkness to light, from death to life, from the power of Satan to the power of God, just like that. Are they perfect? No, I've got some of them I could name that are still screw ups. Are they still in the game? Are they still in process? Yes. When they go down, do they stay down? Some do. Do some get up? Yes, they get up. And it is a messy game, it's a messy process, but it's worth doing, it's worth living, and it's worth sharing this story with people. Look at Acts chapter four, verse four. It says, however, many of those who heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. That's not a bad fishing trip. Can you imagine Peter standing up, these apostles, these followers of Christ standing up and preaching, and in one service, in one moment, with a mob gathered, 5,000 men, they counted these men, who knows how many women and children, 5,000 people just like that being saved. Now you say, well, that doesn't go on anymore. Let me tell you something. Today, this day, tens of thousands of people will be born into the kingdom of God all around this planet. It's unstoppable because there are so many followers now. There are so many people telling this story. Sometimes it is a large mob, but the bulk of it, the power of it is individual people in everyday life, at work, at the copier, going in and out of businesses. Whatever you do, you have opportunities every day. You'd be amazed. You can witness a wrong caller. They'll wish they had never called you again, you know. If you get a salesperson on the phone and say, would you be interested? Say no, but would you be interested in something? Now get them talking. You say, well, that's crazy. You know what? They called your house. Why did they call your house to harass you? You think, turn it on them. <laughs> say something like, well, I'll give you five minutes if you'll give me five minutes. And then you say, I'll go first. <laughs> All right, look at Acts chapter four, go on down a few verses to verse eight. A guy has been healed and out of this miracle a lot of these people have been saved. Then Peter, now look at how this opens up. A miracle has happened. 5,000 people have believed. The 5,000 believed, verse five, let's jump back up there just to get the context. It came to pass on the next day, the rulers, elders, and scribes, as well as Annas, the high priest, Caiaphas, John, and Alexander, and as many as were the family of the high priest were gathered together at Jerusalem. And when they had set them in the midst, they asked, by what power, by what name have you done this? Then Peter, now look what happens to Peter. Then Peter filled with the Holy Spirit. You can't do this without the Holy Spirit. And you may have the Holy Spirit living in you because you're a Christian, but to have someone in you and to be filled with him are two different things. 
The truth is still the truth, but with the power of God, where it says here, Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, it's coming, it's God coming, oozing out of him on these people. Said to them, rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day are judged for a good deed done to a helpless man, by what means he has been made well, let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, now he punches them. And I'm telling you guys, you're going to have to pray for some boldness, and it'll mention boldness in a minute. This is cut to the chase. It is the truth. And Peter gets up and is not trying to be politically correct at all. He says, let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, and by the way, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man stands here before you whole. We didn't do anything. The Jesus you crucified that God raised from the dead, it's in his name that this guy has been made whole. This is the stone which was rejected by you builders, which has become the chief cornerstone. Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now you say, well, that doesn't sound very nice. He wasn't very tactful. Now look at verse 13, though, the response. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were what? Uneducated and untrained men. You ever feel that way? I get in situations, I was in one this last week in a room full of religious people and every once in a while I get this, who am I? What do I know? These guys are way, I'm so out of my league because they're educated, they're more eloquent, they're more something. So here these guys are, everybody knew they're uneducated and untrained men, but they were bold and everybody marveled at these guys and they realized, now guys, this phrase right here is mind boggling. Something about these guys, uneducated, not maybe so eloquent or trained or whatever else, they marveled, but what did they acknowledge? What did they realize? They realized that they had been with Jesus. These guys, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the religious rulers knew who Jesus was, what he was like, what he had done, and all of a sudden they realize it's transferred to these followers. They have the same boldness. They're speaking the truth in love and cutting to the chase. There are a few passages. Let me just read you some of these. Acts 11, verse 21, and a great number believed and turned to the Lord. There's individuals who accept Christ and there's mobs who accept Christ. They were turned into fishers of men on a large scale in some cases. Acts chapter 18, eight, then Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord with all his household and many of the Corinthians hearing believed and were baptized. So sometimes whole families, one a father, a mother, somebody in the family would get it, would hear it, and the whole family would say, that's what we've been looking for, that's what we need. And clearly they had been turned into fishers of men. Before Richard comes back to wrap things up for us today, I'd like to share a couple important things with you. Let me encourage you to take a minute and check out our website, richardellistalks.com. You'll find today's talk right there in the talks page, along with all of Richard's messages. You can even forward them to a friend so they can hear them too. You'll also find the prayer wall to add your prayer requests, a link to connect with us, the contribute page for you to be able to give to this ministry, a radio station finder, all our social media links, and much more. So check it out, richardellistalks.com. And Richard's back now to wrap up today's talk. 
in Ephesians chapter 4, talking about the gifts that have been given. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature and fullness of Christ. And he goes on. But one of these terms used is evangelist. In 2 Timothy 4, verse 5, but you be watchful in all things. Paul writing to Timothy says, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Now, what is the work of an evangelist? What is an evangelist? It's not somebody on TV with goofy hair. That's not an evangelist. They could be called that, but if that's all we got, we're in big trouble. You and I are evangelists. This is the definition of an evangelist a bringer of good tidings, an evangelist. The name was given to the New Testament heralds of salvation through Christ who are not apostles. I'm not an apostle, you're not an apostle. This part of our job, our responsibility is to herald, is to tell, to bring good tidings, to say to people, this is what's happened. And the reason for the title partially today is this, you just get hooked. If you ever see someone born spiritually, it will do something to you where you cannot get away from it. Because it's one of the most extraordinary things. And a lot of people sitting here today, maybe listening today, have experienced this and you say, well, yeah, I'm a Christian. You have forgotten the amazing miracle it is when your whole life, your whole eternity is transformed. It is the greatest miracle potentially. This has been Richard Ellis Talks with Richard Ellis. There's only one reason we do this program, to take the planet with the good news of Jesus Christ. That's our message and our mission. And you have a vital part of doing that along with us. If you've been encouraged by these talks with Richard, be sure to share with someone about the change they've made in your life. And we'd love to hear your story as to how the talks have made a difference to you. Give us a call. We'd love to talk with you. 855-6-RICHARD. You can also reach us through our website, richardellistalks.com. And while you're there, check out all the fun and informative pages we put together for you, richardellistalks.com. While you're there, be sure to click on the Contribute tab at the top to send your generous gift. If the program is making a difference to you, your gift will make a big difference to us. Until next time, thanks so much for listening to Richard Ellis Talks.